Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 334 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm not really asking you to agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. When we talk about sports, you have to, everyone that plays a professional sport, whether it's basketball, football, hockey, tennis, whatever, they're at the top of their game. So what you need to do is and what people try to do and what is an advantage a lot of times is trash talk and trying to get under somebody's skin. There's advantages and disadvantages to trash talk, of course. There is, of course, some people don't take trash talk well, so they can get a little rattled and, and ultimately get off their game. But some people cherish and live in trash talk, and, and it kind of fuels them. The, the The problem with trash talk and the problem with you know going at someone and using that tactic is you have to be able to back up whatever you say. You can't talk trash to somebody and then not back it up or not have the resume or not have the moxie to live in whatever you're saying. That's kind of what we saw going on in round one with Dylan Brooks and the Los Angeles Lakers, primarily LeBron James. Dylan Brooks lives in this realm where he may not be there's there's basketball players, there's NBA players that obviously aren't as athletic, aren't as God givenly gifted in areas that other people are like Dylan Brooks is not as big as Giannis and, and can't run and jump like Giannis. He can't shoot as good as Steph. Um, he's not the physical presence that LeBron James is. And you see, uh, you see multiple people in the NBA like that. PJ Tucker's like that. Patrick Beverly's pretty much the poster child to, to, to living in that realm. Dylan Brooks obviously is like that. They don't have the 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 most God. They don't have the same amount of God given abilities that another like other basketball players have. So they live in that realm of okay, I have to I have to get get it the only way I can, and that is being a rugged, tough, uh, scrappy basketball player. Now, don't get me wrong. It it sounds like I am being negative. I'm not. Hell. Patrick, this has worked on, on P.J. Tucker. He's a champion now, and, of course, he continues to get contracts. Same as Patrick Beverly. This It works for certain people. But certain people, and, 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 for, let me say, and for Dylan Brooks, he is one of those people that it works for. I mean, Dylan Brooks, he has been, even though it, it's been a struggle, especially in the playoffs these last few years, he has been a very important, important cog to the Memphis Grizzlies. But a report came out. Of course, we know that the Memphis Grizzlies lost to the Los Angeles Lakers in round one. A report came out that Dylan Brooks will not be returning to the Memphis Grizzlies in quotes under no circumstances. And that is where I want to start this episode. Under no circumstances. That those what three words under no yeah those three words 
were, were was telling to me because you don't usually see that it's kind of like when kyla murray had that stipulation in his contract that he needs to study film you usually don't see that and if it isn't a contract it usually never gets out well under no circumstances got out because somebody wanted it out and more than likely that somebody was the memphis grizzlies now, a lot of people are attributing this to, to the trash talk that Dylan Brooks, Dylan Brooks, of course, has done majority of his career, especially this year, the whole villain role and, and trash talking to LeBron James, the whole poke the bear incident and he's 40 and or the, the trash talk that Dylan Brooks has said, a lot of people are attributing to why the biggest reason why not only Memphis lost, but why Dylan Brooks will not be returning to the team. And while I do think that is a a piece to this puzzle, I don't think it's the whole picture. There, the One of the biggest reasons why we have talked about the Memphis Grizzlies, not because of how good they are at basketball, but because of what they've said as an organization, whether it's their star player in John Morant, whether it's multiple players Dylan Brooks they have said things that their game their resumes have not been able to back up and for a while now it seemed it has seemed that the Memphis Grizzlies are kind of run by the players now that's not always a problem for instance i think the it, it kind of feels like the Golden state warriors are run by the players yes steve kerr is a great coach one of the best coaches we have in in basketball yes their ownership is good but you can tell you can just you can just sense that you know the, the team is run by the players steph clay draymond green the leaders of the team they kind of run the ship and whatever happens kind of goes through them because the Golden State Warriors have ha, hasn't seen this level of success without those players. So in some, I'm more than sure that most things that happen with the Los Angeles Lakers runs through LeBron James, runs through Anthony Davis. It's it, it, I'm not saying that it's a problem when the players mainly run. Or, for lack of a better term, do what they want. Do what they want. That's not. That's not always a problem. The problem comes when the 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 players that are quote unquote running the organization aren't mature. One thing that we've been talking about outside of, of course, <laughs> the 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 lack of balance that the Memphis Grizzlies have on the basketball court is the fact that they have been one of the most immature teams that we've seen yes John Moran is a really good player yes uh Triple J is a really good player yes Desmond Baines a really good player and at times Dylan Brooks has been a really good player for the Memphis Grizzlies there it's hard when your leader is Steven Adams and Steven Adams is only 29 years old I'm not saying that age is attached to leadership but they have you have to you have to respect someone enough 
to be a leader. And I'm not saying they don't respect Steven Adams, but they may respect him as a peer, not as a veteran, not as a leader. You kind of see the same issue with Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson, I guess, sees himself as a leader for the for the Minnesota Timberwolves. But Kyle Anderson hasn't really done enough to be a leader. He hasn't really really been that important to be a veteran on a team the only thing that kind of makes him a veteran is how many years he's been in the league but i mean what do you do with those years and kyle anderson hasn't done much steven Adams in the same boat don't get me wrong kyle anderson steve adams are good players but i just don't know if they're leaders and and while yes you can call them veterans because of how many years they play in the league but if we're talking about being a vet to a team and a team looking at you as being that, for lack of a better term, uh, father figure to the team. I don't know if Steven Adams is that. But again, then that's probably going to be the title of this episode, Under No Circumstances. That is what really jumped out to me with the whole Dylan Brooks not returning. And honestly, I'm not even going to say quiet as it's kept. Honestly, the problem is in Memphis has not been Dylan Brooks. Yes, Dylan, Dylan Brooks was, was doing all that talk. And for a, or last season, he averaged 14 points a game, three assists a game. Oh, no, three, uh, three assists a game and three rebounds. In the playoffs, that number skyrocketed to... <laughs> that number skyrocketed to 10 points a game and two assists a game. So all of his numbers plummeted pretty much. But when I when, when you hear the word under no circumstances, that's not because of the playoffs. You also heard reports saying that the Memphis Grizzlies have tried have have tried several times to reach a contract extension with Dylan Brooks. The talks have just died. That's not Dylan Brooks camp saying it. That's the Memphis Grizzlies. They're telling you everything that they're, they're, they're telling you every, the, the real reason why he's leaving. They're telling you it, just not telling you. You see, when the John Morant situation happened earlier, the whole gun situation, I promise you that the owner, maybe the GM, the higher ups in Memphis talk to the entire team about what's go- what is acceptable and what's not acceptable moving forward. And it's not it's not just the gun incident, but that's pretty much the the pinnacle of the issues that the Memphis Grizzlies have seen over this last what two three years. Hell, you remember. They even changed their travel schedule instead of a lot of teams if they have multiple days between games and you're on a road game, a team might stay a day. That for with the Memphis Grizzlies, that's not happening anymore. They're after the game, they're going straight home. That's because of the John Morant situation. So I, I feel when when the team goes under no circumstances. And then shortly goes, we've been trying to reach a contract extension with Dylan Brooks. They just all have failed. That's, that tells me two things. That tells me that 
The under no circumstances part means Dylan Brooks more than likely came back and expected to to resume contract talks. And then when they were just like, no, we tried for this amount of years and you or we tried this amount of time and you have not you you haven't acquiesced. And it also tells me that the organization was tired of the the media or the. Yeah, the, the media that came with Dylan Brooks, because it was never, oh, Dylan Brooks is a great player. Dylan Brooks is this. Dylan Brooks is that. It's the whole villain mantra. But why am I starting this episode with Dylan Brooks? Dylan Brooks is not a a, 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 a block topic. Because the problem in Memphis is not Dylan Brooks. The problem in Memphis is John Morant. John Morant is a great player. John Morant can be the face of the NBA one day. That's how good of a player is. That's how marketable John Morant is. But what 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 else do we know about John Morant? John Morant has had several incidences where he has proven that he is not mature enough to be the face of a team which goes which goes back to the whole veteran thing and and why veterans are so important and why you look at a team like the rockets that have absolutely no veterans while you don't hear a lot of stuff off the actually you don't really hear anything off the court the product the 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 lack of veteran leadership is seen on the court for memphis it's the complete opposite. It's seen off the court. John Morant with the gun incident. John Morant with the and his crew with the whole uh, laser beam situation with I think it was against the Pacers. John Morant in the whole mall situation with the security guard. John Morant in the situation where the kid was at his house playing basketball and I think they got into a physical altercation or something. I'm not. What I'm saying is this. I believe Dylan Dylan Brooks was the scapegoat for the bigger picture. If you didn't want to, if they just didn't want to bring Dylan Brooks back because he's not good enough, you don't hear the words under no circumstance. This is this is this is is it, it smell it spells and it is clear that he is the scapegoat for the bigger problem. The bigger problem is they are unable. They're unable to really get rid of the actual problem that we've seen, and that is the lack of maturity from their star player. You see, the team, in team sports, usually the team is a representative of their best player. When you look at the, uh, when you look at the, the Cincinnati Bengals, what do you think of? You think of cool. You think of calm. You think collected. You think kind of flashy, but you also think mature, even though they're young. Why is that? Because they have adapted the mantra of their or the the personality of their best player, which is Joe Burrow. When you look at the go, mm, I usually use Golden State. Let's look at a different team. When you look at when you look at a. Uh, 
the the we'll talk about Mike Budenholzer in a second. But when you look at the Bucks, what do you, what do you see? You you see a, a a team that doesn't really talk much, a team that you don't really know much about until they're in the until they're in the or, uh the, until they give you information. A very defensive team, a very good a uh, a uh, uh, sound team. Well, they take on the personality of their best player, which is Giannis Antetokounmpo. When you look at the Memphis Grizzlies, when their best player is immature, when their best player talks a lot without without having the resume to back it up, when their when their best player is so good that you really can't reprimand them because it would drastically affect the team, well, then the team is going to react the same exact way. So do I think Dylan Brooks deserve to be, for lack of a better term, kicked out of Memphis? No. I don't think Dylan Brooks is the best player, no. But I think that Dylan Brooks is a serviceable player, and I think Dylan Brooks can really help a team. But I don't think it's because of Dylan Brooks' skill set being the reason why he is pretty much not returning to Memphis. I think not only is he the scapegoat to all the problems that Memphis has seen over the years, but he he's he I think that there's more to this story. I think Dylan Brooks plays a uh there there's probably things that have happened with Dylan Brooks that we don't know about and again there are three words but those three words are incredibly powerful and that is under no circumstances and it goes back to the Kyler Murray thing that's why having the clause in the contract about watching film was so big because you never see that you don't see under no unless they do something egregious which we haven't been privy to that Dylan Brooks has done I think Dylan Brooks will definitely have a landing spot. I mean, you're hearing the Miami Heat and the way Dylan Brooks plays, he would be a a, a, a happy addition for Pat Riley and them, Eric Spolstra and that team. So do I think Dylan Brooks is done in the league? No, I don't think he's going to China. But I think that there is a bigger issue in Memphis. And... The, the the problem is the issue is there is is the face of their organization. And until he changes, and until he gets his act together, the Memphis Grizzlies will always have a ceiling that is lower than their expectation and actually lower than their potential. Potential doesn't equal ceiling. And until he gets it right, John Morant, the Memphis Grizzlies will never, ever reach the goals that they're trying, that they expect to reach. And it just so happened that this this iteration of, of, of what happened next sees Dylan Brooks out the door. Whether you believe he deserves to be out or not, he is out. Speaking of being out, you know what winning 
does. You know what winning, you know what having a great player does? What it what it does is it brings on expectation. And we've talked about we talk about expectation a lot on the on popular podcast. When you win something, or when you win it all, when you win a championship, when you win a Super Bowl, when you win a Stanley Cup, when you win a World Series, there is expect and not much changes from year to year. There's expectations that's put on you. And those expectations usually are large. That's that's one of the biggest reasons why after you win a championship, usually the next year you're favored to win again. At least until the season starts. Winning breeds expectations, high expectations. And you know what I also know about sports? Sports is the only, <laughs> sports is the only occupation in the world that I know. Maybe maybe being a doctor too. So sports and being a doctor are the only two observation ops, uh, occupations I know that expects you to put all of your personal stuff aside for the moment. If you're a doctor. Or you're a surgeon, it doesn't really matter what's going on at home. All that matters is that you save this person or, or or complete the surgery. In sports, let's just stick to basketball. It doesn't people people don't care what's going on and, and what what happens in your regular day to day doesn't matter when you're step between the lines, when you step on the court. All that matters is you do what's best. To win the game for you and your teammates. So Mike Budenhoser gets fired. Two years after winning a championship. Of course, I believe, yeah, two years after winning a championship. He was the head coach for the Milwaukee Bucks since 2018 to 2023. In that time, he has not had a losing record at all. In fact, his worst season was the bubble year when they won 46 games. And they won, or not, I'm sorry, not the bubble year. In 2020, 2021, they won 46 games and won the championship that year. So you're hearing, uh, so Mike Budenhoser gets fired. And you're hearing people like Damian Lillard come out. Damian Lillard came out in defense of, well, pretty much in defense of Mike Budenholzer saying, you know, they're 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 firing coaches after winning a championship. Let me be honest about what I think that championship did. Because championships do different things for different players, owners, coaches. What I think that championship did for Mike Budenholzer was give him more time. Because think about it, before the championship, let's let's go in his tenured, this his entire tenured with the Milwaukee Bucks. 2018, they lost in the conference finals. 2019, they lost in the conference semifinals. 2020, they won the NBA championship. 2021, 
the number one seed going into the playoffs, they lost in the conference semifinals. 2022, the number one seed in the playoffs, they lose in the first round, becoming the first team, first number one team in NBA history to only win one game. After being number one, only win one game in the first round. And the sixth team ever to be a number one team, well, number one seed and lose to an eight seed in the first round. Sixth team. We talk about last year, and, and I go back to championships and expectation. When you win a championship, and not, yes, I understand that it's very difficult to win again, but when you have arguably the best player in basketball, you're not expected to be bounced the first round or the semifinals, which is the second round for people that don't know. And let's not, let's not, let's not misremember things. Last year, they were up 3-2. Was that? They were up 3-2 against the Boston Celtics and lost game six at home. Actually, yeah, lost game six at home and was up big in game six. This year, they lost to a Miami Heat team. Now, yes, I understand Giannis missed about two and a half games, but they lost to a Miami Heat team that was without two of their four best players. Let me say, two out of their best five players. And they were the number one overall seed. And now you're hearing reports saying that Giannis may have been ready for Mike Budenholzer to go or Mike Budenholzer's voice was starting to get drowned out. What do we know about what what has been the criticism of Mike Budenholzer? majority of his career that is the lack of adjustments the lack of adjustments from the first half to the second half and the lack of the lack of creativity in his offensive offensive uh plays Again, expect winning a championship, winning anything, throw or or put your put your expectations through the roof. And Mike Budenholzer was not able to live up to that. I think what that what that NBA championship did to Mike Budenholzer, honestly, outside of the expectations, was give him space, give him time, because we've heard for a minute now, actually, that Mike Budenholzer could be out of here. Kind of this, kind of the same thing we heard about Doc Rivers, and and do not get it twisted. If the if we'll talk about this in a second, but don't expect Doc Rivers to be in Philly much longer if they have a disappointing series against the Celtics. I'm not saying you have to win, but you can't get blown off the map like you did a couple nights ago. But we'll talk about that in a second. I think, again, that championship in 2020-2021 gave Mike Budenholzer a lot more time. But that time started to shrink a year after when you were the favorites to go back-to-back and you didn't make it out the semifinals. Now, yes, you can say it was because of uh, Chris Middleton not being there, and a lot of people think that it was because of Chris Middleton not being there. But you know who doesn't care that Chris Middleton was not there? The Milwaukee Bucks front office. 
And when you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, you're up 3-2 against the Celtics without Chris Middleton. You lose a decisive game three. In fact, you lose two straight. Lose game three at home and game four. Like, come on now. And then this year, you made history in all the wrong ways. I understand it's like I understand what what Damian Lillard was talking about, but I also understand and, and what people think think have to understand is that cha- I I believe that championship gave him a lot more time because I think for a minute now they've been ready to move on from Mike Budenholzer, and this season the way that this season ended because again you remember a lot of people had the Milwaukee Bucks winning the championship this year including myself but the way that this ended kind of gave Milwaukee Bucks an out an out that it looks crazy firing a person that you already wanted to fire it looked crazy firing a person after the NBA championship but Two seasons removed and you haven't made it back to a conference championship with the best player in the league, arguably. Yeah. It's it's yeah. <laughs> it's not really a scapegoat thing. That's that's just what it is. And if it is true, again, I these are all things I've heard. If it is true that Giannis was ready for you to go, it's a wrap for you, brother. <laughs> it's like Talk about this all the time. Star player or head coach, one person has to go. Who do you think is going to be every single time? So, there's that. And, and and I think that Mike Budenholzer, I mean, think about it. I, he is an NBA champion. That's one thing. He is an NBA, NBA champion coach. Uh, hell, Emei Doka got a job without winning a championship. Now, yes, he was architect to changing around the defense that the Boston Celtics played, which ultimately got them to a championship or I'm sorry, got them to the NBA finals. Uh, so he made got a head coaching job with the Houston Rockets. I'm sure Mike Budenholzer will not be out of a job for long. I'll just say that. So you ever heard the term, Style make fights. That's exactly what we're seeing in this Golden State Warriors, L.A. Clip, oh, LA Lakers series. You're seeing styles making fights. You're seeing two completely different styles and two completely different approaches to the game collide. When you talk about the Los Angeles Lakers, they beat you on sheer force. They beat you on on size. They beat you on getting it to the paint because they're not the best three-point shooting team. They, they're able to get downhill, and they're able to get to the basket and try to control the paint. When you have a player like Anthony Davis, when you have a player like LeBron James, both are not the greatest shooters, but both are still incredible in their own way. Of course, you know LeBron James, arguably the greatest player ever. They are able to dominate with size and strength and force and defense. This team, after again, the team after 
the trade deadline is one of the best defensive teams in the league, one of the best record-wise teams in the leagues, in the league. Their strengths are able to outshine their weaknesses. When you talk about the Golden State Warriors, this team is, of course, a shooting team. You have, I, I think it's inarguable at this time, you have the greatest backcourt, shooting backcourt of all time. Arguably one of the greatest backcourts of all time in general, not just shooting. And Steph Curry, Klay Thompson. I will go down and say Klay Thompson, the second greatest shooter of all time. He's just playing alongside the greatest shooter of all time. They also have a... The Golden State Warriors thrive on chaos. When you look at their sets, when you look at... If just look at a at a Golden State Warriors game and look at how many people are running and in what direction, all types of directions and the screens that they set and Draymond Green's here, then he's there and, and Steph Curry's always on the move. You're seeing two different styles, two different approaches to the game colliding, which is why I think... I have Golden State in six, but I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Lakers went in six. I wouldn't be surprised if if the Lakers won in five. I just you know it's I wouldn't be surprised if Golden State won in five. It's just which style is going to going to reign supreme, and and that's not saying that the other style like the way that the Lakers play if they do ultimately lose. I'm not saying that's a bad way to play. I'm not saying Golden State, if they ultimately lose, is a bad way to play. I mean, it's, it got Golden State a championship last year. I just one of these styles are going to reign supreme. It's the little things at that point. But I don't really want to talk about. I mean, I don't need to talk about the games that much. Game one, the Lakers style. Anthony Davis went crazy. Uh, they were very efficient. You have D'Angelo. I think D'Angelo Russell and Dennis Schroeder combined for 38 points. If that's the case, you're going to lose every single time, especially when Anthony Davis is doing what he's doing. Game two, Golden State went crazy. Klay Thompson had uh, 30 points, I think eight for 11, three-point shooting. Steph Curry had a double-double. LeBron James had a really good first half. Did absolutely nothing second half. Rui Hachimura came out there. I think he had like 21 points. And Golden State blew them off the face of the earth in game two. Game game one, we can we can sit and talk about the Jordan Poole shot. He just didn't make it, so now it's 1-1. But what I want to talk about is something that is almost undescribable. And that is Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, his entire career now, I didn't really think about it until I looked it up to do this episode. But this is this has happened his entire career. Is his 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 inconsistency in big moments. And it's not like the inconsistent, like like Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook's inconsistency inconsistency comes from his lack of shot making. What you're not, but what is very consistent about Russell Westbrook is his approach to the game. 
he's never going to cheat you on energy. He's never going to cheat you on on he's he, you're going to get your money's worth watching Russell Westbrook because he goes 100% every play. He doesn't take a play off. And he's, you know, what he's gonna give you. He's not gonna hit a lot of. He's not. He's gonna take a lot of shots. Not gonna hit that many shots, but he's going to give you everything. Another play, a, a player that gets talked about a lot, <laughs> about his uh, lack of consistency, is Paul George in big moments. And it kind of goes back to Russell Westbrook to a lesser extent. However, Paul George is going to. He just may not make shots. But he's going to have a have an aggressive approach to a game, especially a game that's important. He just may or may not hit. What's so baffling to me about Anthony Davis is his approach to the game and how his approach drastically affects not only his game, but the game in general. Let's not get it twisted. Anthony Davis is the most important pl- current most important player for the Los Angeles Lakers. He is currently their best player. I'm not talking about legacy at this point because we all know LeBron's legacy is clearly greater than that of Anthony Davis' legacy, but currently the Lakers' best player is Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis knows this. LeBron James knows this. Everyone on the Lakers know this. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why you see a lot of frustration go, you know, go Anthony Davis's way. Game 1. In fact, not even game 1. Every single game the Los Angeles Lakers have won in this playoffs has because Anthony Davis has has been aggressive. Anthony Anthony Davis has been aggressive. He looked for a shot. And and we've said this time and time again. Anthony Davis might be the only player that we can say this about. When he is on, when he is aggressive, when he is focused, when he's attentive, he is a top five. He is arguably a top five player in the NBA. That's what his skill set brings to the table. A top five player in the NBA. When he's not, he is such a shell of himself. The problem is when he's not isn't because of injury, isn't because somebody else is doing something. It's because he just doesn't come to play. Case in point, game one and game two of the NBA West or Western Conference semifinals against the Golden State Warriors. Game one, 31 points, aggressive, was clearly the best player on the floor. I think he had like 17 rebounds, five blocks. Anthony Davis was a, 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 he was the best player by far, and it ultimately ended up in the Lakers winning. LeBron James didn't even have that good of a game. It was Anthony Davis that they, they, they led them to victory, even with Jordan Poole missing the shot. If he would have made that shot, it would have went to overtime. I'm not saying they would have won the game. Game two, Anthony Davis not only has 11 points and seven rebounds, I believe, 
but he gets outplayed by Jermichael Green, who hasn't played he hasn't played 30 minutes this entire playoffs. Now you can say, because you're gonna hear people say, well, it's probably because of the defense that the Golden State Warriors play. Okay. Well, let's go back. Let's go back to the Memphis Grizzlies series. And I think Stephen A. Smith said it so eloquently on even 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 games. That is two, four. Anthony Davis plays terrible. Anthony Davis plays like a regular bench player. On odd games, one, three, five. Anthony Davis plays like a top five player. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. But this is this is this has happened his entire career. And while yes, that's okay, and that you're gonna get you're gonna get past the Grizzlies doing that. It's the Grizzlies. And we just talked about how loud the Grizzlies have been this year. But trust and believe. The Golden State Warriors are not the Memphis Grizzlies. I understand when you talk about seeding, one's a two seed and one's a six seed. But one has been here before, and one is going to capitalize on your mistakes, which is the Golden State Warriors. You can't have that even an odd split this entire series because I promise you, you will you will remain in this series if you stop if you ain't playing if Anthony Davis doesn't play to the capability in which he knows he can play, and we've seen him play. Because you know what we know? Steph Curry is going to come and play the same way every game. Well, let me not say that. Steph Curry is going to give you all that he has every game. Draymond Green is going to, even though it could be good, could be bad, he's going to give you everything he has every game. LeBron James, even though he is, he is slowing down due to age, he is going to give you everything that he has. The, the the biggest question marks, the two the three biggest question marks this entire series is Anthony Davis, Jordan Poole, and Klay Thompson. Let me tell you, if Jordan Poole comes to play, which we haven't seen this entire year, so I don't think I don't see consent hell last last or game two he didn't play well. I think he only had like six points maybe. But if Jordan Poole comes to play, and Anthony Davis doesn't, that tips the scale on the Golden State side. If Anthony Davis comes to play and Klay Thompson comes to play, but Jordan Poole doesn't, that's still, even though that's two to three, Anthony Davis, the Golden State has absolutely no answers for, for, for Anthony Davis, and they know this. It just baffles me that I don't know what it is, man. It's maybe it's a mental thing. We'll talk about that in a second with another player. But I just don't get it because we see – I understand it's an energy thing. Like, I understand that you can't be 100% all the time. I get that. But Anthony Davis goes from 100% to, like, 10% in between games. And you can say maybe he just got tired due to playing time. But again, he's done this multiple times. And he's done this his entire career. 
the 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 winner of this series the winner of this series i know we talked about styles make fights which is true and the golden state warriors and los angeles lakers both have two different styles the winner in this series will be decided by the play of anthony davis cuz don't get me wrong at his height, and when he is playing, Anthony Davis is the best player in this series. And yes, I even mean over Steph Curry and LeBron James. When Anthony Davis is playing to the best of his ability, he is the best player in this series. When Anthony Davis is not playing to the best of his ability, you get what you get from game two. And that is a player that is easily guarded or guardable. And if Anthony Davis is easily guardable going up against the Golden State Wars, it's going to be a very, very short series for that, for the, for the purple and gold. So like I said, the winner of this series will be determined by the play of Anthony Davis. I talked about the mental gap that we see from Anthony Davis or or we believe is a mental gap between games. I'm I I I think I have no I noticed something that I don't really see a lot of people talk about. I could be wrong. Maybe that's why a lot of people's not talking about it, but I'll bring it to you. Let me first congratulate Joel Embiid for winning an MVP. Uh, it was it was between Joel Embiid, Nicole Jokic, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you're hearing a lot of noise or a lot of talk behind the MVP as far as why didn't Nicole Jokic win? If you really care about the triple doubles, and he, I think he was like a uh, an assist away from averaging a triple double, or why do we not care about the re- or do we care about the best record? Because if that's the case, Giannis should have won. Look here. Joel Embiid was arguably the most consistent player this entire year. He he was a center that led the league in scoring for the second year in a row. And I'm not upset. I wouldn't be upset if Giannis would have won. I wouldn't be upset if Nicole Jokic would have won. Joel Embiid won. I think it was well-deserved by all three, but he's the one that did it. So I think... It was well-deserved that Joel Embiid won. Shouts out to Philly. Shouts out to Joel Embiid for winning his first MVP. And a lot of people think should have been his second, but it was his first. So congratulations to him. I took a look. I took a look at James Harden's career. And I noticed something. There's been three occasions in James Harden's entire career, three only three occasions, where he has not been the best player on the team. And I wanted to look at those occasions and, and see, is there any regular, uh, is there anything that stands out to me? And there is. The three occasions where James Harden was not the best player 
on a team was the Oklahoma City Thunder when he when of course he was the sixth man. They made it all the way to the NBA Finals. He was playing alongside Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. His years in Brooklyn were what two years in Brooklyn, of course, playing alongside Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And now this iteration of James Harden playing alongside Joel Embiid. Those are the three occasions where James Harden is for sure not the best player on the floor. And what do all those three occasion or all those three things have in common? To answer this question, I have to go. Let's talk about what we saw between game one and game two of the Boston Celtics series. Game one, we saw old James Harden. James Harden had 45 points. He was putting on a scoring clinic. He looked like the vintage Houston Rockets James Harden. He looked like the James Harden that didn't have to worry about a number or being number two to anyone. He looked like the 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 best like free flowing. I'm put the team on my back. Let's get it, James Harden. And that was good enough to win them game one against the Boston Celtics. But what happened game two? Game two, <laughs> Joel Embiid comes back. It's also announced the same day that, of course, he wins the MVP. And the 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 they the Boston Celtics blow them off the floor. They beat them one twenty one to eighty seven. But that's not the alarming thing. The alarming thing is James Harden. The James Harden that we just saw drop 45 points, goes 2 for 14, 0 for 6 from 3, 12 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. And that's when it clicked. Then I went back to the Brooklyn James Harden. The thing that helped Brooklyn James Harden was... KD, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving only played like 16 games together. But even in those games, James Harden had like one or two games where he was like their best player. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a lie. Where he was their highest score or where he just looked comfortable. James Harden, the totality of what I'm saying is this. James Harden is not good at being a second option. Some players aren't. A lot of players aren't. James Harden is not good with being a second option, at least since leaving Oklahoma City. When you've been a number one option for so long, it's hard for you to understand or it's hard for you to play the role of second. That's why we marvel at the Golden State Warriors when they had Kevin Durant. Not just actually. That's why we marvel at Steph Curry. Because Steph Curry has always been the man for Golden State. He was the man. He was so much the man early in his career that they traded Monte Ellis, who was obviously the man for Golden State. They traded him to get more space for Steph Curry. 
So we we thought we marveled at Steph Curry with the Kevin Durant thing because how seamless and how easy and beautiful it was for him to play to be the second man to Kevin Durant on a team that we knew was Steph Curry's team. There's not a lot of Steph Curry's in the NBA. Case in point, Russell Westbrook, and I, I hate to keep bringing up Russell Westbrook. And please don't hear, don't, don't, don't hear me. I'm not bashing Russell Westbrook. It's just he is a prime example of Russell Westbrook has not been good at being a number two option. We kind of saw that with the Lakers. We also saw that with the Wizards. We also saw that with the Rockets. Now we're seeing he is the third option, but of course they haven't really been healthy. We're seeing that with the Clippers. I think James Harden has a mental block. He doesn't, he's he's nowhere close to as aggressive as he is with or without Joel Embiid on the floor. And not just that, his he went two for 14. From like 0 for 6 from 3. I think there's a mental block. Because when you've been the man for so long and when you've been that player for so long, it's very it's a it's a different mindset. And and the mindset doesn't go from I still think I'm the best player to that. No, it's just it's just hard to to go from being the number one option to the number two option. And I think that's what we're seeing with this Philly team. And this is why we're seeing the inconsistency of this Philly team. Don't get me wrong. I understand Joel Embiid. You're saying that the injury that he had, or he's saying, should be out four to six weeks, but he's going to be 100%, which that doesn't make any sense to me. But I know you're dealing, your star playing being injured, but even in that, you should take a, take, take, you know what I, you know what? I'm going to shoot Jordan, Jordan pull some bail. Maybe it's not deserved, but one thing you do know about Jordan Poole is he is going to give you 100% of himself the entire time. Even if he pouts about or 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 complains about the, the minutes that he gets. When he, he's, he, he tries to be as flashy as possible, but he's going to give you all the Jordan Poole. His mindset does not change whether he is starting, even though you can look at the splits between starting and uh starting and coming off the bench and his scoring and everything, but he's still going to be the flashy Jordan Poole that he is. James Harden, even with Joel Embiid being injured or not being 100%, you should still have the mindset of game one James Harden that he doesn't have. And we have never seen, I'm not saying never, we have not seen James Harden be a, a, a good number two. And that's what we're seeing with this. I, I, as you know, I say this all the time. As I'm recording this, game, th- what, three? From the Boston Celtics and Philly game, as well as the Denver Nuggets and Phoenix Suns have not happened yet. They're happening tonight. It is Friday afternoon. So I don't know what's going to happen in the game. But I do know this. James Harden has has shown a trend in his career that when he is a number one option, he is easily a top 75 player in all in NBA history. He's easily a top 10 player in the league. 
He's one of the best offensive weapons we've ever seen. But when he's a number two option, that's when you just like, wait, what's what's going on? And we kind of saw the power struggle with him, James Harden, and Chris Paul. And you saw Chris Paul get up out of there. I'm not saying that Philly's not going to win this series. I think that Philly is the lesser team as far as we talk about team, total team. But I will say that if you if we if you don't get game one James Harden this entire series alongside Joel Embiid, you're not going to win. The problem is we have never seen James game one James Harden with another star outside of playing OKC being the third man. But as we saw in the finals, didn't really work. But I want to say, Stephen A. Smith says something that kind of made me, it made me pause because it was so clear and so evident. But I was denying it. I made a, I talked about Jalen Brown uh, a couple episodes ago. I even did a, a reel about him or short, wherever you're watching this. And I said that obviously the best player for the Boston Celtics is Jason Tatum. And I don't think that Jalen Brown is good enough to be a number one option and that team a championship caliber team. And while I don't think I was wrong, and I'm not, I'm not here to apologize, Stephen A. Smith did say something that was obvious, but I didn't, I wasn't really paying attention. Actually, yes, I was. I was paying attention, but I was denying it. I was in denial. And that is, this is the second year in a row in the playoffs where Jalen Brown has been the, the Boston Celtics best player. The second year in a row. Year, last year, Jalen Brown was the best player on the Boston Celtics in the playoffs. And this year, up to this point, Jalen Brown has been the best player for the Celtics. And that's because of consistency. We know what we're going to get out of Jalen Brown. He's going he's gonna to put a lot of shots up. He's going to make a lot of shots. Jalen Brown is a scorer. And he has been consistent in scoring. The problem is with, with Jason Tatum. You don't know what you're going to get from Jason Tatum. I, I, still, I still believe that Jason Tatum is their best player. I don't believe. Jason Tatum is their best player. But that could be one of the biggest reasons why not only did the Boston Celtics lose the NBA Finals last year, but you don't know what you're going to get from them because their best player has been inconsistent. Because when Jason Tatum is is on, it's hard to beat the Celtics because you know what you're going to get from Jalen Brown. The problem is, what are you going to get from Jason Tatum? We talk about um, Jimmy Butler a lot. And we talk about 
how he comes alive and he's obviously a, definitely a, a completely different player in the regular season than he is in the playoffs. The same thing can be said about Jason Tatum, just on the negative side. I'm not saying Jason Tatum's trash, don't get me wrong, but Jason Tatum has been hella inconsistent these last two years in the playoffs, while Jalen Brown has been very consistent. Because we know we're going to get from Jalen Brown. You just don't know what you're going to get from. We also know we're going to get from Al Horford. We know we're going to get from uh, Marcus Smart. You know what you're going to get from Malcolm Brogdon. You know what you're going to get from Derek White. You know what you're going to get from Grant Williams. You know what you're going to get from these players, Robert Williams. The one player you don't know what you're going to get from is Jason Tatum. Yes, he can still be aggressive, and he'll probably still be aggressive, but is he going to make his shots? That is why, that kind of like how I talk about with Anthony Davis and the Lakers' chances to make it in the playoffs on Anthony Davis. Same thing I talk about with James Harden. It's the same thing I mean with with, uh, Jason Tatum. Not the whole mental thing, but... Jason Tatum is their best player, and they're only going to go as far as Jason Tatum takes them. And I agree with Stephen A. Smith. Jalen Brown has been their best player this these last two years in the playoffs. But as we've seen, they didn't win last year. And if this trend continues, I don't know if they can win this year. I think they're easily the best team in the playoffs so far. But that's only because of what they've done in the regular season, not because of what they've displayed in the playoffs. And a lot of that is because of the inconsistency of Jason Tatum. We talk about We talked about when 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 we talked about Kevin Durant and getting traded, and and we talked about this was last episode, I believe. We talked about what happens when you don't have your best, or you trade for a player like Kevin Durant. We talked about what you lose, and you usually give up a lot, but you you also get the player, you get a lot. One thing that I don't think I explained was when you trade for a great player like Kevin Durant. One thing that it does is it leaves out wiggle room. You do not have much wiggle room because you're also you're already going to give up a lot. While yes, you have the player, you have Kevin Durant. Your your wiggle room for mistakes, your window wiggle room for injuries, it it goes out the window. Well, and that's one of the biggest concerns and question marks that the Phoenix Suns have has is you're banking your success on three players that have had an extensive injury history well and when we talk about wiggle room the phoenix suns have very little wiggle room because of how much they gave up for kevin durant well as we sit here today chris paul is out with the groin strain no Chris Paul is not the most important piece to Phoenix. No, he's obviously not the best player. He's not the second best player. But trust and believe, because of their 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 lack of wiggle room, this is going to affect the series. I, in fact, I think this is 
going to put the put the exclamation point on the the Denver Nuggets winning this series. Again, I'm sh- I'm recording this before the game, so I don't know what's going to happen in game what 3. But I think that Chris Paul not being there, now having now having to lean more on the bench, now now uh Devin Booker's going to have to play more minutes now Kevin Durant's going to have to play more minutes and they're already playing upwards of 45 minutes or upwards of 44 45 minutes. This to and you're playing a balanced team. This is going I think Chris Paul not being there is going to to tilt or tilt this tide on the on the Denver Nuggets side. I, again, I I know Chris Paul was wasn't having the best offensive showing this year in the playoffs, obviously. But it's not, it's just his presence on the floor does a lot to the game plan or the defensive scheme for another team. And it, it, it helped. It, it, it gives the, gives the Phoenix Suns a ball handler. So Kevin Durant doesn't have to handle the ball that much. So Devin Booker doesn't have to worry about that. And Chris Paul's man, whoever was guarding him, now can focus on somebody else that like you don't really have to guard Cameron Payne like that. So now you can double team uh uh a uh, Devin Booker. You can throw different defensive schemes and maybe double team a Kevin Durant. Chris Paul's injury in my opinion sealed the series win for the Denver Nuggets. I don't get me wrong, I thought the Denver Nuggets argues from what I saw game 1 and 2 but probably going to win this series. But I think it's a definite now with Chris Paul's injury looming over this series. And you want to know, and I understand it was back in the day, and I understand that it's it's that was in the past, but you want to know how important Chris Paul is to a team? Look at, remember when the Houston Rockets were up 3-2 three, three, against the Phoenix, uh, Golden State Warriors that had Kevin Durant, that had Steph Curry, that had Klay Thompson, had Draymond Green? And it really wasn't until Chris Paul uh, pulled his hamstring and was out for the rest of the series that tilted the tide. And that's the same thing that I think is happening with this Denver Nuggets series. So, of course, I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, I would definitely come in here and say it. But I don't think I am. And I'm not going to stay on this for long, but. We're seeing exactly what I thought we would see out of this New York Knicks Miami Heat series. You're seeing a team, uh, uh, Eric Spoelstra coach, tough, rugged team going up against another tough, rugged team. And in situations like this, this is when the stars have to come out. This is when Jimmy Butler has to perform. Kyle Lowry had a big game, uh, game one, which kind of was one of the biggest reasons why they won game one. Jalen uh, Brunson has to be big. He hasn't really come up to play. Uh, he hasn't been really good. However, R.J. Barrett was good one game. Um, Josh Hart, his 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 defense is important. Jimmy Butler with the whole ankle injury, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. I said Nixon six, but I this was the only series that I have absolutely no confidence in my pick. And it's not because the Knicks aren't good. It's not because 
the Heat are just world beaters. But this game, this series to me is going to come down to the inches. You know how they say uh, football is a game of inches? This is going to come down to who who is playing well on any given night. And who can string along one or two games? I think this is going to be a back-and-forth battle, in my opinion, from what I've seen the first two games. And, of course, Jimmy Butler's health is very important because if Jimmy Butler can't play, it's a wrap. Now, but it looks like he's probably going to play game three. So I don't know, man. Injuries have been a, a story this entire playoffs when we talk about Giannis, when we talk about Tyler Hero, when uh, we talk about um, Jimmy Butler. But John Morant with his hand. But, yeah, I think that series is definitely going to come down to the inches and who who comes to play and who doesn't. So that's a very entertaining series. Don't get me wrong. And lastly, before we go, I started this last episode and I'm going to continue it. It is Asian Pacific again, and the reason why I'm doing this is because I didn't know anything about Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Month, I didn't know nothing about it. I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, Shouts out to Asian Pacific American uh, viewers or people in the world. So what I'm doing is, of course, I'm highlighting a person that is of Asian Pacific American heritage. and I'm going to last episode. It was Naomi Osaka. This episode is going to be Eldrick <laughs> Eldrick Woods. For people that don't know, that's Tiger Woods, the greatest one of no, the greatest tennis player of all time. Tiger Woods, by the numbers, has won 82 PGA tours. He's won 41 European tours. He's won the Masters one, two, three, four, five, five times. His first one in 1997, his last one in 2019. Think about that. He's won a PGA Championship one, two, three, four times. U.S. Open one, two, three times. And the Open Championship one, two, three times. Tiger Woods, he's the only person I know. I'm be real with you. African-Americans aren't that a lot, not all. A lot of African Americans, majority of African Americans, I, I think I can firmly say, majority of African Americans aren't that interested in golf. Don't really know how the game is played. Don't follow golf. However, when Tiger Woods is in contention on a Sunday, you know it, it, it's it's like he stops the whole the whole sports world and people go to watch tiger that's that's the effect that tiger has i don't think anybody else has that effect or has ever had that effect in sports it's there's been people that's close like when serena williams is playing and she's in a championship and everyone wants to go watch or when you get that text message that say yo steph curry has 10 threes in this in third quarter like oh sh- hold on i hold i gotta go watch this you know, if Tiger Woods is in contention on a Sunday and he pulls up with that red, that red uh, button up, must watch. And that is when you see people like myself, novices to the, the, the golf game, 
care immensely because they want us we want to see Tiger Woods succeed. We want to see Tiger Woods have an incredible game. Again, I you can feel how you feel about Tiger Woods and I think that the same thing that we saw with Serena Williams, the same thing that we saw we're kind of seeing with uh LeBron James to a very less lesser extent. Father time affects everyone. And with Tiger Woods, Serena Williams, I just think that age might have caught up to her and she, she's not as quick and as powerful and as explosive as she was, of course, when she was younger. With Tiger Woods, that man, I ain't seen that man. He he had, of course, the, the accident and the back injury and the knee injury, and now he he just it just he ain't he ain't got it. Now, I don't think Tiger Woods will ever win a, a, a championship again. I could be wrong, but I still don't think that takes away from the fact that Tiger Woods is one of the greatest uh if not the greatest golf player we've ever seen or yeah. So, and think about this, the PGA, the masters has had a very strong undertone of racism this entire time, like his entire before him and everything. And he broke through and now is pretty much the face. So, Shouts out to you, Tiger Woods. And there you have it, man. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to every listening. Please subscribe to every watching. It definitely, definitely means a lot to me. And until next time, much love. <laughs>